So Paul here in this passage of Scripture reminds us to thank God for, for some of the gifts that he has given to his church. So that's my challenge for us this morning, is to, to, for us to praise God for gifting his church. And there are two gifts that I want to highlight for us this morning that God has given to us as his church. And the first one we find from chapters, or verse 7 through 10, and, and that is this, we praise God for the gift of his grace. Look at verse 7 with me. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice several things about this gift of grace. Notice that it was given to those who believe. To each one of us. And Paul is specifically highlighting the believer here. That no one of us as believers are excluded from this gift. It's for each one of us. Paul doesn't lay out that there is some grace for those in the senior positions in the church and less grace for those who are in lower position. No, every believer is equal in the receiving of this gift. To each one of us believers, this is, this is the gift of grace. Now, the gift itself is not the common grace that all of us experience, whether saved or unsaved, but here the gift is God's sustaining grace given to those who follow Him. Paul highlights this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So this is sustaining grace that is talked about here. And so we get to the, the, the heart of the matter. The gift itself is grace. The sustaining grace of God that enables the believer to minister to the body of Christ. Okay, that's, that's what Paul highlights here. It's, it's grace that's given to each one of us to minister to the body. Whether it be grace to get up in the morning and come to church to perhaps teach a Sunday school class or grace given to a pastor to get up and, and preach in a morning service. It is sustaining grace that carries us to, in, the, in the effort to minister to each other. It continually amazes me that Paul highlights grace. I don't know if you've, you've caught on to that as we've studied through Ephesians. But grace is just so prevalent in this book. It's wrapped up in our salvation. We saw that in chapter 1. It's wrapped up in our life as the church. We've seen that in chapters, chapter 3. It's now wrapped up in our, in our ministry, in the walk of the, of the church in daily life. There is no part of the believer's life that has not been touched by the grace of God. And so I just want to stop here for a minute. I want to ask you, do you see how vital grace is to your life? Do you see how vital it is? God was gracious to you, and if that's, that's, your, that's your call today, you're, you're a child of God through salvation, if that is your call, God has, was gracious to you in saving you. God has shown you grace in your life since that time. And perhaps you can think of different examples where, where God spared you from something or brought you through something, and that was God's grace. And God has given you grace now as you labor here, as you minister here in International Falls, that God is gracious to you. Grace is vital to our life. We cannot exist without God's grace. 
And I could, <laughs> I could spend the rest of the sermon preaching on God's grace, but are, are you thankful for God's grace this morning? That God has been gracious to you and He continues to and will continue to be gracious. That is truly a gift that He has given to all of us. Notice also with me that this gift of grace is freely given. It was given. The idea of the word there is, is to show an action done to the subject rather than the subject doing the action. So the emphasis here is on God. God gave grace. And notice also that His grace has already been given. It's not waiting to be given to us to be able to sustain us in our ministry. It has been given now. So it's not something we're waiting for. It's, it's happening now to us. It was given to us. Not of any of our merit. Not by works of righteousness, which we've been saved, right? But by His mercy and, and grace that He saved us. Grace is freely given. Are you thankful you don't have to earn grace? <laughs> I would fail consistently. But God freely gives His grace. He doesn't require anything from you in return for it, and we'll talk about it here in a minute. But He freely gives it. And you have it now. You don't have to wait for it. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. It was ultimately given by Christ. So if you want to talk about the ultimate gift giver, the ultimate uh, one who wraps the presents and, and one you know to be the one who was always giving gifts, that's Christ. Christ gave the gift of grace. And in giving the gift of grace, He also determines how the gift is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, when you, were, when you were a kid, when you got presents, whether at your birthday or Christmas and everything, you were not the one who determined how that happened. Okay? You weren't the one to determine what wrapping got used, if there was a bow on it or not, or a name tag or anything, or what position it had underneath the Christmas tree or on the table. You didn't determine that. The gift giver did, whoever that was. Well, in the same fashion, God, Christ, determines how the gift is given. He's the standard. That's the idea of the word according to. And he uses the word measure here or the idea of the instrument of measuring. So Christ measures how much grace to give and he gives it and determines how it is given. Reinforcing that the ultimate gift giver is Christ as he gives us the gift of grace. And Paul adds as well in verses 8-10 through 10, another qualification, if you will, that Christ is more than qualified to give the gift of grace. Therefore, he says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, you might be wondering, well, what is Paul talking about? Because see, if you notice in your translation, if you go down to verse 9 and 9 and 10, there's a parenthesis around those verses. And I think that the translators are trying to get us to see that this is, a, this is Paul's interpretation of what verse 8 is. So he's, he's defining it for us. And what really verse 8 is is a quote from Psalm 68, 18, which says, You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. So Paul is using this quote to say it refers to Christ. And how it refers to Christ is in verse 9 and 10, he says, It 
he ascended means his, his, his uh, ascension after his resurrection. And then led captivity captive is the idea of leading captives in war. This was common during, the, during the, uh, that time period when you came back from a battle and you were victorious. You led your captives before you and you gave gifts as well to all your friends and, and fellow victors showing your dominance and so to sum it up, verses 9 and 10, and, and he's talking about uh, his ascension and descension. To sum it up here, verses 9 and 10 show that through the incarnation of Christ, his birth and his ascension, his resurrection, he gained victory over Satan and attained the ability to give spiritual gifts to his people. Okay, that's, that's the idea. That's what Paul is saying, verses 8 through 10. He's doing this because of his ascension, his ascension and his uh, incarnation allow him and have given him this ability his victory enables him to give gifts and so the purpose of that is at the end of verse 10 that he might fill all things with god paul goes back to theology to show that the incarnation and resurrection and ascension of christ enables christ the ability to give gifts to his people and so that leads me to ask this question this morning as we think about this gift of grace, God's amazing grace. And I perhaps have asked it before, but it bears asking again, are you using the grace of God, the sustaining grace of God, to minister to others? God never asks you to reimburse Him for His grace. He only asks what are you going to do with it? Have you noticed that? God never asks you to pay Him back for the grace and the mercy that He has shown you. He only asks us, what are we going to do with it? God has given us grace. God has given us sustaining grace to be able to minister, whether it be having somebody over for a cup of coffee and just, and just listening to them as they pour out their heart to you, or perhaps be involved in a men's Bible study, hint, 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 in a few weeks. Okay, Whether, Whatever that might be, God has given you grace. Are you using it to minister to others? Perhaps some of you have, and we'll get to, I'm perhaps jumping a little bit ahead of myself, we'll get to the gifts. Perhaps some of you have a gift of, of just hospitality. And God's been gracious in gifting, giving that to you. Are you using that gift of grace to minister to others? I don't know, I, I, I can be selfish, and I know I am a lot, but when I look at this passage of Scripture, I have to ask myself, God has been gracious to me and given me so many things in this gift of grace to minister to others. Am I taking advantage of it or am I using it for myself and wasting it? You know, you can waste God's grace. You can, you can foolishly spend it on yourself. So this is a warning to all of us. Are we using it to minister to others. Yes, ministry is hard. Ministry is tiresome. There's times perhaps you that you don't want to get up in the morning and come to church or you don't want to get up and go to a men's Bible study or you don't want to get up and, and meet the needs of somebody in our church who's, who's desperate for help. But God's sustaining grace is there for you to use to do that. Even though you might not feel up to it. Are you using it? The second gift that Paul highlights here 
is that we praise God for the gift of spiritually skilled people. Spiritually skilled people. Read verse 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So here we see that Christ gifts different people with different spiritual gifts to the church. Okay, that's kind of a mouthful there. But he gifts different people with different spiritual gifts to the church. An illustration I might use is, I ran into a lot of this when I was working at South Coast State University as a uh, custodial supervisor. We would have students work for us who were from different countries. And a lot of times what you found was that uh, different countries uh, or companies in those countries would pay for those students to come and train at particular university, okay? Uh, whether it be engineering, we had a lot of engineers, we had some that were uh, chemical, that were mecha- some others were mechanical, and some were in other fields, uh, medical as well. But the whole point of that country or company paying for that young person's education was for them to come back and work for that country or company, and the country or company would benefit from that person's experience and education. A lot of those uh, young people I still have contact with today, some have gone back, some are still here in the States. But that's the idea, is giving gifts, giving training, trained people, so in this case, rather that not only Christ benefits, but the church benefits as well. Know several things about this gift. Paul uses the word himself there in verse 11 to show that only Christ gives that gift. Christ is alone responsible for gifting the people for the benefit of the church. Not the church itself, not, not a denominational leadership. It is Christ that gives gifted people to the church. There are several of them that are listed here, as you see. Apostles. Uh, another word for them is messengers. And the New Testament uses this word to, to refer to the 12 disciples who walked with Christ, and it shows their special position before Him. The prophets uh, describe someone who proclaims a divine message. Uh, for Paul in his day, there were still prophets because the New Testament had not been completed and there was still a need for the church to hear what God had to say. So prophets were still in play. Evangelists. Uh, we, we know them today as well. Those one who preaches good news. A New Testament example would be Philip. Philip was known as an evangelist. Someone who went around and engaged with unbelievers and testified of the gospel so that they may be re- repent and be converted. Pastors. Uh, the term there is leader or guardian. One might also use this term to describe shepherd. This is the man who leads and guards a local congregation by feeding the flock of God entrusted to him. And then teachers. The word here means to teach authoritatively. And this is not referring to just the pastor. Again, the pastor does have that responsibility in teaching but also refers to those who may be equipped that way. So the teacher is one who does this, teaching, teaching authoritatively, but he may not exercise the entire responsibilities of a pastor. So that's a, it could be the pastor, but it could be someone else who is not the pastor, who does not 
you know, maybe just a lay person or a deacon in the church. So God has gifted all these people to the church to benefit her. Now, obviously, today we do not have apostles. Okay, that, that, the position that office is done. Uh, there, are, there are other denominations who say that it's still ongoing, but we can see evidence from Scripture that the, the need for the apostles is over. We don't, we don't need prophets. Okay? Uh, the time of prophecy is ended. We have the completed Word of God. That is all we need. We don't need prophets. So we've got a couple of positions that are not effective anymore or not in play. But yet God still gave them for a purpose. And what is that purpose? The purpose is that Christ gifts people to the church so the body may be outfitted to serve. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here, here the, the, the summary point of this is that we are to, the, the, the reason these positions exist, these, these gifted people exist, is for the equipping of the saints. That's, that's the whole term. That's the whole description. They are to equip the saints. The word for here designates purpose. So Christ gifted people for a purpose. I think we can say clearly from this as well as by way of challenge, if you're gifted in one of these ways, and obviously there are other portions of Scripture where it talks about spiritual gifts, but if you're gifted in a way like this, don't waste your gift. If Christ has gifted you to this body of believers, don't waste it. Use it. It's a challenge for me as a pastor. Yes, I know I get up here every Sunday and, and preach and teach and such, but I can be tempted to waste it. I could be tempted to go online and find a sermon and just preach that. But I'm here for a purpose that is to equip you to do ministry. The word equip here, it describes the work, of, uh, in, the, in the Greek world, describes the work of philosophers and teachers. You know, they went out and taught people their philosophies and their, and their uh, patterns of life. And the, the point was that they wanted people to do what they taught them to do. So the equipping work of, of spiritually gifted people is one of teaching and training as well as doing. So it, it's, it's as these evangelists, the uh, prophets or the evangelists, pastors, and teachers that we have today are given to our church so that they can teach, train, and help us do the work of the ministry. It leads me to ask this question as well. Are you willing to be equipped to do the work of the ministry? As you think about your role here at First Baptist Church, are you willing to learn and to be taught and to do the work of the ministry? Yes, Christ has gifted us, gifted different people for this purpose, but we still have to be willing to be equipped, right? We can resist. We still have a sin nature. We still have struggles. There can be resistance there. Are you willing to be equipped? Note also here that Paul says, equipped saints do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose of equipping. Okay? The teaching, the training, the doing as well, what are we, how, we, how, how does that work itself out? We work the work of the ministry. We edify the body of Christ. 
This is the goal and intention. The word ministry here, the work of the ministry, refers to the interests of a larger public. The idea here is serving the Lord by ministering to others. Ministry is serving others as you serve the Lord. So you're serving God by ministering to others. You're serving others by ministering to God. The two go hand in hand. You also build up. The word build up means to, to, incur, to build up or construct a building. And here, the building, as we've seen here in, in Ephesians, the building is the body of Christ. So as we're working the work of the ministry, we're edifying, we're building up the body of Christ. We're, we're encouraging one another. We're strengthening one another through our words and through interaction, through time in His Word. So the saints, we here at First Baptist, are to do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. This is accomplished through the equipping work of spiritually gifted people that Christ has gifted to His church. But God gifts people to His church so His church can do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. God's got it all figured out. We just have to do it. Notice also with me that the ultimate goal of this giving gifts to a church, spiritually gifted people, is spiritual maturity. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word come here signifies a goal. And what is the goal? The goal is the knowledge of the Son of God or a, a deepening understanding of God and His ways which result in maturity being fully grown. I say the word, the word perfect man. And who is, the, who is the measure of this? The measure of this is Christ Himself. So we're attaining, working on spiritual maturity, becoming more like Christ. He is the standard of our maturity in our faith. Romans 8.29, For him he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. So the saints that are equipped by God to, do the work of the, to, uh, to equip those to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body are all helping us to be more like Christ. No, he says we all. So he's including the people who are gifted to the church. So the, the, the entire process of being equipped to do work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ, we all are involved in that effort so that at the end of the day we become more like Him. Notice also another purpose of this is that spiritual maturity avoids worthless error. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. A spiritually mature person, perfect man like unto Christ, measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, does not be, is not blown away by every new teaching that comes along. That's the idea that the word tossed to and fro or carried about. The idea is it's moved here and there, just kind of waved back and forth. A spiritually mature person, more like Christ, is not tossed back and forth and deceived by error of deceitful men. The idea we're here is, is dishonest men who use deceitful methods to promote error. Paul warns about this in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. 
For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ by their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Your walk with the Lord as you are being equipped to do that, as you work the work of the ministry, become more like Christ, is to avoid worthless error. To avoid doctrinal problems. And notice lastly as well that spiritual maturity grows the body of Christ through love. So Paul's dislabeling, adding on goal upon goal, but it all fits together. So a spiritually mature person will, will avoid spiritual error, will avoid spiritual error, but he also will grow the body of Christ in love. But verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ. Instead of speaking lies, okay, the spiritually mature person speaks the truth in love. So we've come through this process of being equipped, now doing the work of the ministry, building up the body. So all we all come to maturity, we avoid error, we speak the truth in love. The idea of the word speak the truth in love, a lot of people like to use this phrase is to lovingly tell the truth to someone regardless of the consequences. Lovingly telling the truth to someone regardless of the consequences. Let's be honest with ourselves. Telling someone the truth is always not pleasant. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you have to, you have to get in that person's face, not, perhaps not literally, but you have to get up to him and say, what you're doing is wrong. And in that, that is loving. Because if I didn't love that person, I wouldn't tell them. I would just kind of let them go on their merry way and just ruin their lives. But we, as spiritually mature people in Christ, we speak the truth in love, even though it is hard. And that's our preferred attitude. Regardless of when it's hard, we speak the truth in love. So that, again in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. That is to, to increase there, to, to, to become larger. The intent of Christ is for His church to always grow. Second Thessalonians 1, 3, and 4 say this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's our goal. We're growing in love for one another. We're growing to be more like Christ. That's the intent. God never wants us as a church to be stagnant, to be status quo. He always wants us to be growing, not, not, not in numbers, but in faith, in spiritual maturity. He is our head. He is the one who is in charge, who is the head, even Christ the church needs Christ to grow. So we're growing the body together with Him. He is our head. He is our leader. Verse 16, From whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by, which, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of the self, itself in love. Somebody's saying, well, what is Paul saying here? Well, let me sum it up for you. The effective working of that phrase, starting in verse 16, from whom the whole body, the idea here is that the body is building itself. The believers are to build the church as Christ builds it. There is mutual responsibility 
So we have a responsibility to work together as a body works to move around and, and function. We have a responsibility to, as a body of Christ to grow the church as Christ is growing it, as He is, is growing the church. You remember what Paul says, or excuse me, what Christ says to Peter all the way back in the Gospels, I will build my church. So ultimately Christ is building it, but we have a hand in it as well. And this effort causes the body to grow. Not just spiritually, but there's also numbers there as well. Through the method of love, not lies. It's built up, it's edified, it's encouraged through love. Love grows the body of Christ. It is loving to share the gospel. It is loving to share community with other believers to encourage one another. It is loving to confront sin. It's all done from an attitude of love, a desire for the other person's benefit ahead of your own. This is the whole body growing up, building itself up, encouraging itself in love. That's the process. Spiritually gifted people equipping all the saints to do work in the ministry to edify the body of Christ. We all grow together. That's that, as we attain that goal of Christ-likeness, to be avoiding spiritual error and growing ourselves in love. That is the gift that God has given to us. And so it leads me to ask this question this morning. Are you embracing God's intent for you in the church? God intends us to grow together. God intends us to, to work at growing each other. And some of you say, well, pastor... You don't know me. You don't know my situation. It's just, just hard for me to interact with people, and I, I get that. But nonetheless, there is a responsibility on our part to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So I ask you this morning, are you doing that? Whether you're a regular attendee or a member, are you working at what God has intended for you in the church? We're all supposed to grow together. We're all supposed to be building this church together. But each one of us have our different roles. Are you, are you doing that? Are you helping all of us together become more like Christ as we build each other up, encourage one another, we spread the good news so that we can one day look Christ in the face and he says to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are you embracing God's role, being part of the body, right now. Unlike the gifts we may receive from friends or family, the gifts that God has given to His church are far more valuable. They are for our individual and corporate benefit, and they are made to last. That gift you got at Christmas so many years ago, I doubt that's still around anymore. God makes his gift to last. What are the gifts? The gift of grace, sustaining grace to minister to one another, and God's gift of spiritually gifted people to us so we can, so we can be doing the work of the ministry, building up the body so that we can all be spiritually mature, growing ourselves, growing the body in love. May you and I always Praise, give thanks to God for these gifts that he has given us to use for his kingdom and for his glory.